0: Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast, where every week we bring you fascinating conversations with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton, chief nerd at The Modern Health Nerd. This week, I'm bringing you my interview with Lynette Cooksmuck, co-founder and CMO at Natural Machines. Natural Machines is doing something pretty innovative, which is why I'm super excited to have Lynette on the podcast. She and I have been connected for a while, and as you'll hear in our discussion, sometimes have in-depth conversations in LinkedIn comments, particularly about food and the food system and whole food plant-based eating. At Natural Machines, Lynette is delving into the next generation of kitchen appliance the 3D food printer. Yes, you heard that right. We're hearing a lot about 3D printing in the food tech space, particularly in alternative proteins. But what Natural Machine is doing with their first release, the Foodini, is bringing 3D food printing right into your kitchen. Now, this isn't going to be happening tomorrow, but the vision that Lynette and Natural Machines have is that in the future, 3D food printing is going to be just as normal as microwaving or boiling a kettle of water or pressing start on your Instant Pot. It is possible and Natural Machines is well on the way to making it happen. Before we dive into how they're doing it, I just wanted to thank you all for listening, thank you all for your support, and remind you that if you haven't, please subscribe to the Modern Health Nerd Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and give us a rating and review so that we can keep bringing these really interesting interviews to more people. And if you're interested in getting some written updates, industry insights, and seeing these podcast episodes as blog posts so that you can see all the show notes right in your inbox, you can head over to modernhealthnerd.com news and sign up. Now, my conversation with Lynette from Natural Machines. Well, Lynette, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to finally be able to have a conversation with you here on The Modern Health Nerd. Thanks for having me. So could you give us a little bit of a background on what you're doing and on natural machines and really the inspiration for what you're doing there? Because, well, I know what you're doing and I'm pretty excited and I would love for the listeners to get just as excited as I am. (laughs) Yeah, so
1: I will say we create innovative kitchen solutions and our first release product line is a range of 3D food printers. Now, 3D food printers might sound crazy to a lot of people when they first hear about it, but it's actually not that crazy because if you eat anything from a supermarket, so anything from a food manufacturer, you're practically already eating 3D printed food. They just don't call it that, right? So a food manufacturer takes food, they push it through machines, they shape it, and they form it. We took that exact same concept, we created the kitchen appliance, but the big difference is we allow you to use your own fresh real ingredients so that you can actually replicate or you become the manufacturer of a lot of things you currently buy. So therefore, you have control over the ingredients, the quantities. Now, it, you're really home cooking, so it's a kitchen appliance that helps you to make foods that you currently buy packaged from a food manufacturer so you can make them healthier and make them more customized for you.
0: So, could you go a little bit more into what you're saying about how a lot of packaged foods are already technically 3D printed? I've read a little bit on extrusion and puffing, but I don't know how familiar the listeners might be with that.
1: Yeah, like we try not to get too detailed about it. But generally speaking, when you're looking at a food manufacturing process line, you know, they have a lot of machinery. So if you're making things like, I don't know, uh, you know even cookies or something like that, you know, they're, they're making the dough, they're mixing it up, they're making it into the circles or, you know, whatever shape of the cookie they're making. And, you know, that process of actually shaping that food is pretty much what we're doing. So we do it from a 3D printing standpoint, which is extrusion. But rather than getting too technical, I think the analogy that a lot of kitchen users will latch on to really easily is some people compare us to an automated piping bag. Now, in certain cases, that analogy works. So if you think about things from the bakery, icing cookies, writing happy birthday on a birthday cake, you do all those things with an icing bag and we kind of automate that. So we extrude icing and we can write with nice handwriting and decorate cookies with icing. But where that analogy starts to fall short is when you talk about foods that are not from a bakery, like Doritos or tortilla chips or breakfast bars or ravioli or any of these other types of foods. So in simple terms, you can think of us as automated piping, but it goes beyond those types of bakery goods that's typically associated with that.
0: Now, you call your first release Foodini, which I love because it really brings across the magic of what you're doing. I am going to drop a link to your YouTube channel in the show notes so that people can see how this works, because it's a little bit difficult to describe it on an audio podcast. But insofar as it is possible, could you give us a little overview of how it does a lot of these things that you were just mentioning?
1: The analogy we use is your typical inkjet printer that you may have at home. So think about that printer where if you were printing the word hello on a sheet of paper, for example, and when you're printing that sheet of paper gets stuck in the printer and it keeps printing the word hello over and over again and the layers of ink build up getting higher and higher until you have a 3D hello. That you know that wouldn't happen with an inkjet printer but that's kind of the concept, that's what it is. So we're really just printing layer by layer, building up, Um, until you have this 3d printed object or in many cases with food we do more like 2d prints which is like what you would find with thin tortilla chips or crackers or something which is very hard to work with the doughs but when you're actually printing them it's a very easy process so i guess uh the, the way the machine works is uh you we have stainless steel food capsules you put in your fresh ingredients so what we do not do is we do not force people to buy pre-filled food capsules like a Nespresso coffee maker here in Europe or a K-Cup coffee maker in the States where they force you to buy pre-filled coffee. We actually ship with empty capsules. So we encourage you to use your own fresh real ingredients. You put those capsules in the machine. There's room for up to five that will automatically exchange as the ingredients are necessary. And we print layer by layer and create a dish.
0: That's pretty exciting. I'm mentally picturing different things that could be done with this just as you're talking. Now, since you have done this as a kitchen appliance, as you mentioned, sounds like you're really looking at this being another thing that we are able to have in our kitchens, along with our Instant Pots and toasters and coffee makers.
1: Yes. So the big vision is that in 10 to 15 years, that 3D food printers will become a common kitchen appliance, like those appliances you just mentioned. That is in the future. That's not going to happen overnight. But I think rather than, you know, adding to a lot of kitchen appliances, I think what's going to happen in the future is that you're going to start seeing consolidation of kitchen appliances that have to have more functionality. They have to do more. So we're going to start trending away from the one use appliances, like the ice cream maker that only makes ice cream or the pasta maker that only makes pasta. So your kitchen appliance kind of has to earn its right on the kitchen counter because The one thing, you know, nobody really wants is those dreaded appliances that you you get them and you use them, but then you kind of start sticking them in the back of the cabinet in the darkness, never to see the light of day again. (laughs) So whatever appliance is sitting on your kitchen counter has to earn that space. So we're not targeting the consumer market just yet for various reasons, but when we do, you're gonna see something that's very multifunctional and can do more than just 3D food printing.
0: I like that because I am super big fan of the Instant Pot, but not only the Instant Pot, but the one with the air fryer lid. So consolidation all the way, definitely. So you told us a little bit about what you're doing now. Could you kind of back up a little bit and give us some history and the, the inspiration behind natural machines?
1: It all started with a friend who had a problem. <laughs> so how many companies start is you know somebody who has a problem. And our friend had a vegan bakery here in Barcelona. She was selling throughout the country, but then her business started expanding and she started selling to other countries. So it was exporting beyond Spain, but it became very cost prohibitive to do so. And it wasn't because of the cost of ingredients or the labor, but it was more on the distribution and getting that product out to other areas. So we started brainstorming ideas and, you know you, it's very expensive to build a manufacturing facility obviously so we thought about mini manufacturing facilities and if you're thinking about 3d printing whether it's printing food printing metal or printing plastic a 3d food, uh, 3d printer in general is localized manufacturing so that's where the idea started so it all started out with uh helping her with her bakery business but then we thought about it you know rather quickly into other areas thinking about well if this is mini manufacturing What about all the things we see in a supermarket that comes from a food manufacturer? Can we replicate those things as well? And that's how it all started. That started back in 2012. So we're a bit uh, older than eight years old now. And yeah, that's how it kind of came to fruition.
0: You're right. A lot of company stories start with somebody's got a problem or we see a problem and fill the problem. I see more of these ideas of distributed manufacturing and kind of decentralizing the food system coming out as food tech matures and expands. And it's really exciting to me. So how are you, by doing this, helping to transform our food landscape from, frankly, the mess that we've got right now to the future vision that so many entrepreneurs are looking at of a better, more democratized and healthier food system?
1: Well, there's kind of a lot of aspects to that. So something we wrote about years ago when we first started out is just lowering food miles, right? So, you know, we all heard the stories of where you know, farm gets a farmer grows a tomato, it goes to the distribution centers and it goes to the bigger distribution centers and it goes to the store. And that store may be two blocks away from where you live, but it, and the tomato maybe grew, you know, 20 miles outside, but it went through this 100 mile journey to get to your supermarket. So when you can start producing your own foods and using localized foods, of course you're going to lower food miles. But another big aspect that's kind of tapping into with macro trends of what's going on with food is that people really want to know more about their food. What's in it? Where it comes from? What exactly am I eating? And to do that, you know, the best way to control your food is to know exactly what's in it. So to the point where you're controlling it. So whether it's customized ingredients that you control or really having your eye on those ingredients, that's where 3D food printing can help with that sustainability aspect and control over food. So you're actually creating customized foods for you. You're not relying on a manufacturer, which may have a a large product range or different flavors, but that's going to be limited. But when you can actually pull in your own ingredients and control that print, you're pretty much going into unlimited territory with the variety of foods you can, can do. So it's all about really controlling those aspects, using localized foods, using foods you control and customizing your own food.
0: Sounds like it would be a big asset in the trend towards personalized nutrition.
1: It's getting there. 3D food printing will tap into that market for sure. So personalized nutrition, well, all of food tech is a bit you know, controversial because it's very subjective. <laughs> so customized food, I think, is another one of those categories. So, yes, you can customize food with a 3D food printer. Some examples we use is, you know, you can print a dessert that stops printing at 200 calories. Um, So if you're printing a chocolate heart for Valentine's Day, you won't get half of a heart because that's where the 200 calorie count mark is, but it will intelligently scale the design up or down. So you get a complete heart at the end. Um, And in the future, you will be able to start customizing down to nutrients. That's not happening today. There's a bit of science and technology that has to work together there. So the science, when you talk to, I talk to a lot of nutritionists and uh, people that are really looking at, you know, foods and how that affects your body. And we all know that it's not that easy, right? So you can't just take an apple and dissect it and take out all the good parts and you know, get that usually the apple as a whole is much more healthier for you. So it's the same with, uh, you know, these, this food, if we have a breakfast bar during this meeting and we could buy it from a supermarket, you and I would be eating the exact same calories, the exact same nutrition. But in the future, if you print that, you know, and I need more vitamin D or more B12, I can actually infuse more of that into my food. But then when you talk to nutritionists and scientists, they're like, well, it doesn't really work that way. You know, it's not like you need to hit a B12 at 10 in the morning, then more at 4 p.m. It's how does your body work with those different types of nutrients? So it's a bit of making sure that science and technology merge together. But generally speaking, rather than just getting serving sizes from a box of food or a package of food you buy in a supermarket you can actually customize that to the serving size that's right for you and eventually you can get to nutrition level but it's not quite there yet as to how that works
0: you're right in how complex it is i am a big fan of reading t colin campbell's books and that is the whole point of his book whole which i will also drop information about in the show notes But it sounds like some pretty exciting stuff is coming down the pike with being able to really customize food, not only for our tastes, but also for our bodies. Now, talking about customizing food, I know that Natural Machines has also worked a little bit with seniors and particularly people who have difficulty with eating and swallowing. Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys got into that and um, what you've done and the results you've seen?
1: That's actually an opportunity that came to us a couple of years ago. We always had our eye on healthcare and that market, but it wasn't really one of our major focuses. But then they came to us as a solution to see what 3D food printing can do. So that's when it kind of started really escalating. So, what you're talking about is people with dysphagia, which is trouble swallowing. So, people who have this um, issue, sometimes it happens naturally as we age, there's a certain percentage of the population that get it. Sometimes it's disease related. For example, we're working on some projects where people have cancer that affects their throat. So helping them to enjoy their foods again by 3D printing it. Uh, But basically what people with dysphagia have is they have to eat pureed foods. That's pretty much all they can eat when you have the most severe form of dysphagia. So for lack of a better description, basically everything they eat is a bowl of mush more or less. Maybe some smoothies and liquid soups. But as you can imagine, you know, the colors might change, the flavors might change, but it kind of quickly gets boring after a while and people lose interest in eating, which is not good because you need nutrition. So it kind of gets into this downward spiral. So what we do is we actually take those foods and we print them to look real again. So an example is taking peas, pureeing them and printing them in the shape of real peas, a pile of peas. So visually it's a much more attractive proposition, which is super important because we all gauge our food by what it looks like, whether we acknowledge that at the time or not, right? So visual impression is very important. So when people are sitting down with their families or they're eating dinners, you know, they have a nicely presented plate of food that encourages them to eat. And there's another benefit as well, because when you actually print the food, it's segmented on your plate. But what happens a lot of times is when you're just eating a bowl of puree or a dish of puree, you know, it tends to mix more. So you're just getting this mix of flavors and it's not easy for a lot of people to differentiate the flavors of the food, whereas when you print it, you can. So basically the whole printing of food is to get people back into enjoying their foods again, because food is a, something we all do every day. We all sit down to eat and it should be pleasurable. It should be social, you know, at times. Sometimes it's not, you're just in a rush to eat, but a lot of times it's very, uh, it's a social and an enjoyment process of eating food. So this helps to contribute to that.
0: Sounds like the same concept would also work well with kids, particularly picky kids.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I actually have a personal example of that from a few years ago. So if you ever see me live on stage or, you know, virtual on stage <laughs> these days, I usually, you know, my presentations vary all the time because we try to keep them different every time we present. But there is one slide that I tend to consistently use over and over again in all my presentations. It's a couple of years old now, but it's a, it's a picture of spinach quiche in the shape of dinosaurs. And that was totally for my kids a couple of years ago when I tried to get them to eat spinach quiche. You know, I was trying to get the spinach win in the dinner. And my kids just weren't having it. You know, they claimed they didn't like it, which is fine. Not everybody likes every food, right? But a couple of weeks after I I made that normal dinner of spinach quiche, I took the same exact recipe. I printed it in the shape of dinosaurs and my kids ate it up. You know, my dinosaurs became extinct very quickly. (laughs) I barely got a picture of them before they ate them all. So a simple shape change for kids actually encourages them to eat a lot and try different foods, which is great.
0: Yeah, that is great. I've had several people on the podcast who have talked about how we need to get back into educating our kids about food, starting with good, healthy, whole foods when they're younger. And I think that that can be really difficult in our current landscape where a lot of kids, by the time they're like toddling around, they've been to the fast food places more times than they can count. And getting their palates back into enjoying some of that food, it sounds like we could, in the future when we've got these in our kitchens, start being able to get those vegetables back onto plates fruits or spinach quiche
1: exactly and you know it's funny some of the criticism that we get um because you know we have people that love what we do people that hate what we do and everything in between which is normal for food tech you know and because again it's very subjective but the people that criticize us for 3d printing food is you know they say they have this star trek replicator vision in their heads right and we're we're far from star trek replicator (laughs) you know you can't just go to the wall and say you know whatever you want, and it prints on a nice ceramic dish, and you're ready. Uh, so people think we're going to get disconnected from our food, where in a generation or two, you press a button, and you have instant food. And the way we're doing that 3D food printing, that's absolutely not the case. And if anything, you know, even from that kid example that I just used with my kids and, and the dinosaur quiche, they got more engaged because again, we're not forcing this pre-filled food capsule model where you just pop in capsules and you're ready to go. That's no different than you know, getting chicken nuggets from the freezer and putting them in the oven. You have no idea what's in them. But when I made that spinach quiche, my kids were in the kitchen with me and they saw you know, the whole leaves of spinach, the nutmeg that we added. The, you know, so they were very engaged and they saw the ingredients that went into it. So you're actually—it's an opportunity to get kids even more engaged with their food to actually learn about it. And the fun thing about 3D food printing, especially when you start implementing it to the education sector uh, with kids, is that it covers different topics in one class. So you can cover home economics, you can cover food and nutrition, you can cover 3D printing and tech, you can cover—you uh, know—have it making a complete meal. So it's a lot of fun. And uh, with, with 3D food printing, you, know, you can do this all in one class period. So it's not like a plastic printer that takes 24 hours to print a little trinket. <laughs> you know, we know 3D food printing has to be a lot faster. So you can actually have a, a gratification very quickly to see the process through and actually enjoy it. So kids get really engaged with this kind of stuff.
0: Do you see natural machines as integrating with education in the future in that kind of way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We kind of already are, um, but more like uh, just coming in and going out and what, by what i mean with that is the machines aren't in the kitchens in the schools full time yet so we've done some events with uh randy zuckerberg in new york city where she's pulling in uh, she has her She's tech kitchen event that she does where kids come in and they part of it is the 3d food printing we went to schools in england where we brought in printers and we printed at lunchtime, and they got engaged with that So it's a lot of a lot of schools are very interested in this type of topic, because, again, you know, you even hear stories about schools wanting to kind of get back to the basics on certain things like teaching kids how to cook. Where is food coming from? Bringing back home economics. And this is a fun and modern way to help get them excited about that.
0: I love the merging of old school home ec and new school technology. So. You talked about a lot of really interesting things that you're doing through Natural Machines. What got you personally interested in this particular space?
1: Well, you know, I, I do not have a food background, actually. So my background is um, I'm, I'm from the States, born and bred in New Jersey, East Coast. So I lived in Manhattan for a while. And during that time, I was in advertising. I was in the fashion business. Um, I came over to England afterwards, getting into technology, but I never did anything with food necessarily. So that came from a personal passion. So I've always had personal passions about just eating healthy and you know, trying to stay in shape and every, everything else that goes with that. And I became, I'll call myself vegan only because that's what everybody understands, but it's more whole food plant strong for those of, you know, that's kind of really what my diet is, even whole food plant strong. And I got into that about 10 years ago. And that's because that's when I had my daughter. And when she was about six months, two year old, she got eczema. Long story short, dermatologists didn't really know what to do. So they're like, try all these creams, see what works. And, you know, none of them really work. So I started reading up on things and that's how I kind of fell into the whole you know, China study and what's there. So getting off dairy. So I pulled her off dairy, but I couldn't pull her off dairy and then eat, you know, a yogurt in front of her or eat cheese in front of her. So I decided to pull myself off of dairy as well to see how it is. And it was actually at the time very hard because you don't realize how much dairy is in foods you eat. That's not obvious, you know? So it was actually a, a learning experience for me and that kind of got me through the I think you and I read and follow the same people (laughs) from Whole Food Plant Strong Diets and the methodologies behind that. So I got into that whole circle. And that's how I kind of fell into the whole food thing. It's just personal passion that meshes in with my career being in technology. And that kind of all comes together with me, uh, for me at Natural Machines, doing food and technology together.
0: So it sounds like you took your passion and you made it your career, which is the dream, right? Exactly. Exactly. What do you think... With everything that's been going on with COVID, with everything that's been going on in the plant-based space, and now with everything that's been going on in food tech, what do you feel should really be the next focus or the next vision for all of these companies and movements going forward if we want to do what we've been talking about here and bring a healthier and better landscape to people for food and, and with their food?
1: Yeah, that, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> There's so much going on in food tech now in so many different directions. But I think generally speaking, food tech has to accommodate what people want and need and where they are in life right now. So by that, I mean, before we were talking about customized nutrition and, you know, that kind of can lead into calorie counting apps and, you know, do we want to have dinner and we control how many calories we all have or how much, you know, levels of vitamin D we're getting during the day. And for some people, that's their passion. That's what they want to do. You no, know, for me, I can't really stand calorie counting apps and all these types of things. It's not. I want to enjoy my meal. I don't want to dissect everything every time I eat it or prepare it or have somebody else prepare it. And I have to kind of dissect what's, what I'm eating. So, you know, on the flip side with food tech, with three D food printing as an example, is if you just want to have a freshly made nachos for your Mexican tortilla night that you're making at home, and you want to make your own nachos that have like you know no oils or anything to that extent that you don't want. Then it's easy to do with a 3D printer. Just throw in your dough and print. Don't worry about calories. Don't worry about the tech. Don't worry about anything. You know, it's, it's a kitchen appliance. And that's where I think a lot of companies kind of really need to make sure they have that adoptability for different types of people to use it in different types of ways. So the food tech has to work for what the people need at the end of the day, not pushing a certain methodology on them. I hope that makes sense, but it's kind of, you know, that's where I see things, um, Where they make the most movements, so people can grasp onto it the way they kind of need to at their stage in life.
0: So going more for a trajectory rather than the super high tech, or as I like to say, the nerdy aspects of everything, because not everybody is going to be a hyper food nerd right out of the box, so to speak.
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, you know, as the old marketing things go, you know, you're not selling the tech, you're selling the solution, right? So, and. I know that might seem like a bit of an oxymoron statement coming, you know, I, I have two marketing degrees, but if you look at our websites and everything we're, we're talking about, 3d food printing is kind of front and center. And that was done very deliberately because when we started back in 2012, 3d food printing you know, was pretty new. It still is kind of new, you know, it's only eight years old, uh, but it was, it's, it was a buzzword. And we tapped into that. Right. And we were deliberately talking about controversial subjects. We were talking about the tech and you know what that means and, you know, is there any love in food if you're 3D printing it versus not 3D printing it and you know all these types of subjective controversies around food. And we were very much putting the tech front and center. It's still front and center, but we're starting to shift that messaging, right? Because now people are learning more about food tech, learning more about 3D printing. And, you know, it's kind of shifting to like, okay, what can this do for me? Why would I want this in my kitchen? You know, it's great tech. It looks great. You know, we'll always attract a crowd at a trade show or event because people just want to see it. You know, it's fun when it's hardware and you see 3D food printing, but, you know, longer term, what does that mean for me in my kitchen? Why would I want this solution? And that's kind of where it all has to shift over. Like, why would I want, you know, in any other Food tech industry, you're talking about why would I want customized nutrition, or why would I want all these plant-based alt proteins, or clean meats, or you know why do I want all these types of things? So it's kind of the messaging has to kind of flip towards that to see you know what the benefit is to the customer, basically.
0: Also, being in marketing, I concur because you can talk about features all day, but if somebody can't see why those features are relevant to them, there you can't sell the product.
1: Exactly. But, you know, when you talk about tech when it's brand new tech or things that people haven't heard of, it's you know, it's the door opener. But then you have to go beyond that. You know, so people might kind of perk up and be like, oh, 3D food printing. I have no idea what that is. And it sounds a bit weird. You know, explain it to me. So it could open the door to the conversation. But then you really have to kind of go all the way with that messaging as to what the benefit is.
0: So you're looking going forward at showing how this is something that really could be a part of our daily lives rather than making them more complicated, making them easier like a lot of innovations in, well, we could say maybe more basic food tech in the past. I mean, I was reading an article where you were talking about how, you know, in the 70s, everybody thought microwaves were kind of weird. And I'm sure that things like Instant pots, I don't remember when they first came out because I got on the trend late with that one. I'm sure those kind of seemed strange to people when they first came out, but now we're seeing, like you said, this trend towards multifunctionality, this trend towards personalization, and it sounds like you are now moving that towards making it more normalized for the kitchen.
1: Right, so we're making it more normalized, but I will say as a caveat that these things don't happen overnight. Right. So when you look at the Nespresso coffee makers or the K-Cups in the States, which is the equivalent, is some people saw that and they're like, hey, that kind of happened overnight. That blew up and came out of nowhere. But it did not. (laughs) Right. When you look at the first version of those things, those came out in the 1970s. And most people don't know that, you know, there's Harvard business case study reviews on these products and. It takes a lot of iterations and a lot of, you know, fine tuning and coming in at the right time, right place, right price, all those things that have to happen to merge together to make a product successful. Um, And especially when you're talking about brand new products, like at the time when microwaves were brand new, what, what did that mean? You know, where did it start from? Or when these automated coffee makers were brand new, Instapot picked up a little bit faster than a microwave or the, you know, the coffee makers did because it was a bit of a me-too product. Yes, it was innovative. I have one, so you know, I, I like it. It was a bit of a me-too product in the sense of it, it made pressure cookers much less scary, right? So that's kind of where it came from and then they had added functionality to it. So it was a bit of a faster sell into the market because something like that already existed, but Instapot did it better, you know, and did it 10X better than what was out there. So it really depends on what product you're talking about and, and how to get that up there. So. Yes, we are looking to normalize 3D food printing. Now, I'm passionate about it. Not, you know, I'm a co-founder, so you expect me to be passionate about it. But, you know, when I do things like simple printing tortilla chips, I printed tortilla chips. I posted about it a couple months back now where I wanted a, a white corn flour tortilla chip with no oil and some salt and seasonings. And that's it. And, you know, try to find that in any supermarket. I can guarantee you, you're not going to find it, Right. Um, let alone leaving out all the additives and preservatives in it. And to make that without a 3D printer, would I have done that? The answer is no. And because for me personally, working with doughs is a nightmare. You know, it's so finicky. And that's for a lot of other people. But to make the dough, it took me five minutes. But if I didn't have the 3D food printer, I would have to roll out the dough really thin, you know, and that's just, you know, a nightmare in itself. But 3D printing it was super easy. Right. That's kind of my more 2D example, because I print it very flat, triangular chips. And that to me is like, I guess, I'm excited because rather than buying all these things that I'm buying packaged and where you don't know exactly what's in it or, you know, it sits on the shelf for six months to a year or, you know, how much of whatever is in there is, is actually in there. I actually knew every ingredient that was in my tortilla chips and it was super easy to 3D print. And it was you know, a much healthier proposition than anything I could have gotten anywhere else. So that's why, you know, I'm super excited about 3D food printing going to your homes. But it's going to take some time to get there, right? We're not at that tipping point into mass market yet.
0: It sounds like, though, when you are, that this could really bridge the gap for the people who want to eat healthier. But exactly what you said, their problem is, I know how to do this, but it takes too much time to be able to replace all these things I'm currently buying packaged. So with that in mind, my wheels are turning just a little bit. Before I go on to my big ending question, I'd like to ask how you see maybe 3D food printing being able to support what we're seeing now in the trend toward more plant-based eating and more even where you and I are coming from in the whole food plant-based eating. So it
1: definitely can be and is being used for plant-based and all protein solutions. So I can't give away the names of a lot of our customers that are using it because they're customers. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, we do have a number of all protein companies using 3D printing in their R&D labs to figure out, you know, this utopia of a whole steak or a whole chicken breast or what the next phase of all proteins can be or cell-based proteins. So that's happening. Um, 3D food print can definitely contribute to it. I know there's some people that have approached me saying, you know, you should do all, you know, if you're plant-based and that's your diet, you should do all plant-based foods with your machine. And, you know, I can in my own home, but it's kind of like, you have to go back to the appliance aspect again. It's a kitchen appliance. So if I sell you an oven or I sell you a microwave, I cannot force you to just do plant-based products only in that kitchen appliance, nor can I force you to just do healthy products. So you can have an oven and you can just make chocolate chip cookies all day and that's your diet, you know, not exactly healthy, or you can use your oven to make roasted vegetables as well and balance that out, right? So it's really what people want to use it for. And it definitely can be used for plant-based and healthy alternatives. And that's one of the main reasons why we created it. But again, you know, you'll see even on our websites and our YouTube sites where um, we're printing chocolate that's not exactly healthy. But you know, it's what people want. So you can print chocolate, but you can also print white cornflower tortilla chips with no oil. <laughs> so you can do a lot of different things with it.
0: You're getting me excited for the future here. <laughs> so spe- speaking of the future, this is the big question that I ask everybody. If you had unlimited power and resources at your disposal and you could bring about one change in our modern food system what would you do, especially in light of knowing what you know about food and food tech?
1: Yeah, I don't have an easy answer for that. I don't know, because the whole system is so complicated, right? As we all know, like you and I debate on LinkedIn and blogs about seeming simple solutions, and then we have all these questions that pop up around those solutions. So it's really hard for me to say, but what I would like you know, and I don't know if it would matter if I had all the money in the world or you know unlimited resources, but we just have to make food at its proper value. And by that, I mean sometimes you know when we talk about food waste, it's because if food is so cheap, we don't really care if it gets thrown away, or you know if it doesn't have if it's if an in industry is so subsidized, whether it's the dairy or the meat industry or what other industry is so subsidized, it kind of, it distorts the whole kind of food system as to what the value of that food is and what people should actually be eating. Similar to how you hear the arguments about how you'll never see a billboard for broccoli because there's no money in it, but you'll see a billboard for a chocolate chip cookie because there's a ton of money that can be made from that, right? So it, it's distorted, right? So it's a matter of fixing those distortions to help people become more educated, make the right choices and have the market in alignment with that. But, you know, again, if I had all the money and all the resources in the world, could I accomplish that? I don't know. I guess I could like not worry about having to pay rent and go lobby all days of my life (laughs) to try, (laughs) try and make those changes happen, but it's just, it's a really complicated system. I don't think there's any one right solution, which is also, even when we talk about 3D food printing, no matter what the the question is, whether it's sustainability or lowering food waste or helping to eat healthier or anything else, I always say that, you know, this is not the only solution. There is no one only solution for anything. This contributes to helping towards that solution and hopefully moving the dial in a significant way. That's what we're all after.
0: I like it and I think you're right. I agree. Our food is far more valuable than we really think about, especially in the US because we have a whole lot, we have like 30 to 40% food waste in this country and it is, it's a lot of, we had a lot of cheap food and we have a lot of people who could be benefiting from all the food that we throw away. So I, I hear you and yeah, we do a lot of debating on LinkedIn and speaking of, where can people find you and follow you and see more of what you're doing with Natural Machines, in addition to obviously LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, so Natural Machines, of course, you can find my details there. Uh, I'm also at Lynette at com. Feel free to write to me or link to me. I've been much more active on LinkedIn these days. I kind of had to pick due to all the time restraints and running a business and everything else and a family and everything else going on. I had a kind of put all my eggs in one social media basket. So for me personally, LinkedIn is where it's at. So I do have Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts, but from a personal standpoint, I'm not really tapping into those too much. It's really a focus on LinkedIn. So that's the best place to find me. And if you don't have LinkedIn account, feel free to reach out to me in email.
0: I hear you there. LinkedIn's where it's at for me too, and I know that Natural Machines too also has a, their your own kind of social media presence too. You're across several different platforms.
1: Yes, you can find that all on our website. It's all on the bottom of our website, all the links,
0: and I'll drop them in the show notes too. So if people are just listening to the podcast and they want to click through from there, that would be an easy way to find you, and. Wow, I, I feel like we could just keep going. Unfortunately we gotta wrap up for now, so maybe sometime you'll have to have to come back and we will continue our conversation and maybe some of those uh, on and off debates we've been having on LinkedIn. Just for people who are are not familiar with our back and forth, we talk a lot about, like Lynette was saying, the complexities of seemingly simple issues and the multifaceted nature of all these solutions for the food system. So, Lynette, thank you so much for your insights and for pulling back the curtain for us on the 3D food printing world. Which, like you said, it's still fairly new, but I don't think it's going to be new for long. I think it's going to start catching on
1: well it's been my pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: thanks again to lynette for being on the podcast so happy i was finally able to get her on i'm fascinated by what natural machines is doing with foodini and honestly as soon as they hit the market i don't care if it's five years ten years from now i think i'm gonna wind up with one in my kitchen because i am that kind of a nerd I geeked out a little bit when she was talking about printing your own oil-free tortilla chips because, frankly, that's a pain point of mine. So if you're out there and thinking about launching a CPG brand, if that's possible on a large scale, would love to see it. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Again, if you liked this, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, give us a rating and review, and share with your friends. If you'd like to sign up for written updates and show notes right in your inbox, you can go to modernhealthnerd.com news and drop your email in the box in the sidebar. Thanks again for joining me. And until next week, stay nerdy.